0: Well, good morning. So, when I look out this morning and see you guys, I have hope for the church. My generation, unfortunately, has been guilty of many things. Some of you may not even remember Woodstock. But we're a generation that is characterized by this. We say, do as I say. As I do. There you go. That's our generation. And we have failed you in many ways. In, in a particular way, I believe in church. Because I've lived long enough to see that one of the most segregated places in America was church on Sunday morning. May that not ever be true. When I look out today, I have hope for the church because we're every tribe, every nation, every tongue gathering together to worship Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, is it not? I love your pastor. (laughs) I've gotten to know him the last year or so, and what I know about him is that the word of God lives within him, he teaches and preaches out of overflow every time I get together with him and normally we get together once a month, he, I learn something from him, I take a lot of notes because he is a gifted anointed teacher and I may say, if I may say to you, um, it's a great privilege for me to be here with you today, thank you. So my assignment today is Genesis chapter 20 and the first part of 21 If you grab your Bibles and turn to chapter 20 or turn on whatever glows, we're going to look at some things, some key verses. In Genesis, this is the the narrative portion of Moses' writing and we see in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there's many, many years that are comprised in those chapters but starting Earlier, verse, uh, chapter 12, and continuing through this chapter, you see the narratives really slow down and, and you see a lot of information. And when you see the narrative slow down like this and great detail given, it's the Holy Spirit's way of putting an exclamation point on something and saying, I want you to take a look at what's happening here. So in chapter 20, there's really two stories that we see happening here. The first one is God's glorious redemptive plan that's progressively revealed for mankind, right? It began even when sin entered the world through Adam. His glorious story began when he told Eve, from you, from your seed, I'm gonna send a redeemer. I'm gonna send someone to make it right To reconcile mankind with God. I'm going to send someone to move you back to the garden. And that story we see progressively revealed here with the birth of Isaac. But then there's also a story of Abraham. A story of deceit. A story of lies. A story of a man depreciating his wife. But in the midst of that story, God still was faithful to him. And and really, when these narratives slow down, we should find ourselves in this story because after all, all of us have a story, do we not? Those of us that follow Christ understand God's redemptive story because it's become real to us. We've appropriated it in our hearts. But then we have our particulars, our geography, our troubles, our victories. A tale of two stories. So look with me in chapter 20, verse 2. It says, And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. This is not the first time Abraham tried to pass off Sarah as his sister. We find when he went to Egypt, he did the very same thing. In fact, what we see when they were traveling to Egypt, by the way, and I I know your pastors taught this, a place where he shouldn't have been, he tried to manipulate his wife into going along with this, this account. He said, Please, because you're beautiful, and she must have been something else by the time this story is told, she's in her 80s, and a guy takes her into his harem. I mean, what about that, right? (laughs) But because she's beautiful, what Abraham wants to do is get her to agree with him telling the kings of these areas, hey, you're my wife. There's some characteristics of his sin that I want to point out. First of all, it was cowardly. He risked Sarah's life. Abimelech took her into his harem. Who knows what could have happened to her as a result of his deceit. The second thing is his sin dishonored God. Abraham was a spokesman for God. He was a prophet. And then the third thing is this episode makes plain that the people with whom God works are not of themselves intrinsically better than other men and women. Aren't you glad that's true? (laughs) F.B. Meyer, noted author, said, it would almost appear as if the Spirit of God took delight in showing that the original texture of God's saints was not higher than that of other men nor indeed so high at all what they became they became in spite of their natural selves so Abraham does this Abimelech takes her into his home and that night he has a dream and God says to this man unknowingly, who's taken this other man's wife, God tells Abimelech, you're a dead man. (laughs) And Abimelech rebukes Abraham. You see it in verse 9. He says, you have done things to me that should have not been done, ought not to have been done. And watch this. Although Abraham, God's man and prophet, totally sinned, And was out of step with God, the Lord redeemed any consequences of that sin momentarily in order to preserve the greater story, the Lord's redemptive story. You see, on Mother's Day, of all days, that I get to speak to you about this, the Lord had to preserve the mother, Sarah, in order to preserve the son of promise, Isaac cause of Abraham's sin was lack of faith in God which resulted in pride. He did not believe that God could take care of him in this new situation. But a primary interest in this episode are the consequences of his lack of faith first in regard to Abraham and second in regard to God. So as far as Abraham was concerned, The lack of faith, his pride, it disturbed everything. And sometimes we think of our lives as compartmentalized, do we not? We have separate watertight compartments so that a sin in one area doesn't necessarily affect another area of our lives. Sorry. Sorry, guys. (laughs) But life is not like that, right? And the situation Abraham shows us that that's really the case because he began to think more of himself than was proper. So long as our view of God is up, our view of ourselves will be down. God will be sovereign and holy and wise in our lives. We will see ourselves as weak, as foolish and as sinful but if our view of God goes down so that he becomes less than sovereign in our thinking then our view of ourselves will go up and we begin to imagine that we are generally quite able to take care of ourselves This is what Abraham imagined. Thinking that God could not take care of him, he assumed he would have to take care of himself. This is what got him into this foolish predicament. And more than this, his opinion of himself rose. His sensitivity towards other people declined and he began to look down on them when he did not have any reason to do so. We see this in his attitude towards Abimelech. And we see it in what he did to his precious wife. He took his wife, the, the mother of Of nations is what God said about her, the mother of kings, that she would be that mom that ultimately would lead to the redemptive Messiah, her seed, and he gave her to another man to become his sex slave. So, watch this Abraham had this natural drift. He liked to pawn his wife off as his sister. That was his go-to sin. We all have natural drifts. Do we not? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'd rather make this rhetorical. But we do, do we not? We have things that when we get placed in certain situations that we respond sometimes the same way. My natural drift Is towards pride. I'd like to become the manager of the universe. I really would. I think I apply for the job every day. But to this point, I've been unable to even get a first interview. That was a joke, by the way. So to give you an illustration about that this morning, I drive through Whataburger. I do it two or three times a week, my local Whataburger on the way to Hill Country. And, and I get a sausage biscuit and a Coke Zero, and I know what it costs. And so the young guy, I didn't drive uh, through. I said drive-by, right? That's, that's yeah. yeah, sorry. That has another connotation. I, I didn't drive through today. I went inside because the drive through line was full, and I was in a hurry, and I was late. So I get a young man, and it's his first day on the register. And he, he's got me, he's ordered something for me called Bob's Sausage. And I said, that's not it. It's, it's this. And, and what I wanted to do as my, as my anxiety began to arise as I wanted to become the manager of that store and come behind the counter and work the register. I, I thought, you know what, I'm going to speak on this in just a few hours. <laughs> this very thing that, that's boiling up in me, this natural drift that I have towards pride, it's, it's right here, right now. And this poor kid, I mean, so we finally worked it out and, and uh, I thought, Lord, <laughs> all of us have a temptation, do we not? A natural drift to think more highly of ourselves and fall into a prideful pattern. Can I give you a little story that illustrates this? Several years ago, Chan Gailey, was the head football coach at Alabama's Troy State. Do any of you remember Chan Gailey used to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Okay. So this is a smaller school. His, his team was playing for a national championship in their division. Uh, he had resurrected this football program from obscurity. And, and so the week before the big game, He's on his way to the practice field when his secretary from the office calls him on his cell phone and asks him to come back to the office to take a phone call. He was irritated because this was the week of the big game. He's got this practice that's really important. So he told her, hey, take a message. I'm on my way to practice, don't don't you know? But she said, sir, it's Sports Illustrated. And he said, I'll be right there. (laughs) So he turns around, he starts making his way back to the building. And on his way back, he began to think about the article that they were going to write about his team playing for a national championship, about the way that he had resurrected this program and they'd become prominent in this division. He thought, it's going to be great publicity for for my school. And as he got closer to the building, he began to think this, He thought, you know, a three-page article won't be enough to tell the whole story. And as he got closer to his office, he started thinking that he might actually be on the cover. So he started entertaining mentally. How should I pose for this picture? Should it be an action shot just from chin up? His head was spinning with all the possibilities. So he picks up the phone when he gets to his office And the person says, is this Chan Gailey? He says, yes, it is. And they said, this is Sports Illustrated, and we're calling to let you know that your subscription is running out, and are you interested in renewing? And his pride got punctured. Some may excuse this natural drift we have by saying things like this. Well, this is just the way I am. This is just how I'm wired. But I want you to watch this. Our character is tested when we're up against it, is it not? And when we're up against it, our sin naturally rises to the top and we fall into old patterns of destructive behaviors. Things that separate us from God, from the ones we love. And by the way, this is called sin. It's simply sin. One of my favorite pastors and a man that I've followed for years in my journey as a pastor several years ago wrote these words and he was... In his life of ministry, he felt like he needed to take a leave of absence. And I want to read his words to you, if I may, that describes his approach to the pride, the natural drift of pride that he found in his life. It's from John Piper. And he says this, I asked the elders to consider this leave because of a growing sense that my soul, my marriage, my family, and my ministry pattern need a reality check from the Holy Spirit. On the one hand, I love my Lord, my wife, my five children, and their families first and foremost. And I love my work of preaching and writing and leading Bethlehem. I hope the Lord gives me at least five more years as the pastor for preaching and vision at Bethlehem Church. But on the other hand, I see several species of pride in my soul. While they may not rise to the level of disqualifying me for ministry, grieve me. And have taken a toll on my relationship with Noel, his wife, and others who are dear to me. How do I apologize to you, not for a specific deed, but for ongoing character flaws and their effects on everybody? I'll say it now and no doubt will say it again. I'm sorry. Since I don't have just one deed to point to, I simply ask for a spirit of forgiveness. And please listen to his next words. And I give you as much assurance as I can that I am not making peace but war with my own sins so we must combat the drift towards pride that's rooted in our old nature how do we declare war on our nature it's being willing if I may share with you dear ones it's being willing to walk into refiner's fire that's, one of, that's the only way we have to be saying, Lord, I know that I have this nature in me. I want to declare war on this nature. But to do so, I must walk into the refiner's fire. There's, there's another kind of fire that consumes us, but not the refiner. In the first century, how they would refine metals. It's, it's a cool story. The, the metalsmith would take the ore that contained the precious metal and he would break it. And Can you see the, the metaphor there? We can trust that our refiner, that Jesus is going to break us gently. In fact, he told his disciples, fall upon me, the rock, and be broken into pieces, lest the rock fall upon you and crush you. So be willing to say, Jesus, I give you my life Break me into pieces. And so how the refiner would do it, he would break the ore into pieces, and the metal would be there, and there were no temperature gauges, so he had to get the temperature just right, because if the temperature was too hot, some of the metal would be destroyed, the precious metal. But if it was too cool, not all the impurities would rise to the top. So as he adjusted the fire, he, the impurities would rise in the metal, and he, the refiner would scrape the impurities off, and as he scraped them off, when the image of the refiner's face became visible in the metal, then and only then would he know that the process is complete. For our lives to combat the natural drift that all of us have, we have to say, Lord, I want to walk into fire. No one in their right mind would do that, right? We have self-preservation. But we can trust that the refiner has our interests at heart. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got this, didn't they? Remember their story? They wouldn't worship, so they were bound and thrown into the fire. But I I love the end of that story when it says they looked in and they saw them running around unbound. And there was a fourth man in there, and it was Jesus, I believe. So the things that bound them, The things that bind you and I, we can trust that the fire will destroy those. Second thing I want you to look at with me this morning is let's look at Genesis chapter 21, verse 1 through 3. The Lord visited Sarah as he said. If it's your own Bible, would you circle those words, as he said? And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised Scripture teaches. Please circle as he promised. You see, the birth of Isaac was much more than parental joy, for his birth meant the fulfillment of God's promise. God had told Abraham, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. I'm going to bless the whole world because of you. You're going to be the father of the promised seed, and Sarah is going to be the mother. The birth of Isaac reminds us that God keeps his promises. And in spite of their occasional failure, failures, Abraham and Sarah believed that true. Isaac's birth also meant the rewarding of patience. Abraham and Sarah had to wait 25 years for this son to be born. birth of Isaac also showed us the revelation of God's power. That's one reason God waited so long. He wanted Abraham to, and Sarah to be good as dead. Abraham was almost 100 years old. Can you imagine that? And finally, the birth of Isaac was a step forward in the accomplishing of God's purposes. The future redemption of this lost world depended on the future of this little baby boy and what was God's purpose in all of this, in this story that's progressively revealed? It's to demonstrate his love for us, for the world. I think all of us probably know John 3.16, do we not? But it's a good verse to sometimes reflect and pause and say, God, you loved us so much You loved us individually so much that you gave your only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that an amazing reality? Because you see, God loves us, loves you more than anyone ever has or ever will. There may be some of you in here this morning and I've been, here, I've been there. You wonder, am I really loved? <laughs> Does God really love me? Maybe you're in the middle of your life, swirling events that have happened that have broken your heart. You can trust that God went to great lengths to demonstrate his love for you and I. Because Paul says this way, while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. You are so loved you are so loved that the greatest act of love that the, that history has ever recorded or mankind has ever experienced when you see a sinless perfect man hanging on a tree for you and I i never doubt anymore that i'm loved you may wonder am i really important to god Does my work mean anything? Can I say to you, based on the scripture, based on the story we're telling you today, you are. You are important to him. You are loved. The next time you feel defeated and discouraged, remember Abraham and Sarah. And remind yourself that your faith and promise, they go together. You can't separate them. third thing i want to talk about today and it's a glorious third point is that abraham's lack of faith his pride it disturbed nothing as far as god was concerned nothing abraham doubted god's ability to take care of him but god's ability to take care of him was not altered in the slightest He may have doubted God's grace, but God remained as gracious as he had ever been. I'm really impressed by the way God showed his grace to Abraham. God did so when he spoke to Abimelech. When Abimelech learned the truth about Sarah, that that was not Abraham's sister, it was his wife, he must have thought of Abraham as this cowardly, hypocritical, two-faced charlatan, or maybe even worse. And he had cause to, but this is not the way God spoke of Abraham to Abimelech. God said something interesting. He said, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. And get this. Watch this. And he, Abraham, the joker that told you this is his sister, that guy's going to pray for you, and I'm going to bless you because of that. You will live. And I love this about the father. Moreover, in his references to Abraham in the future, never once does the Lord bring up this incident as if to highlight Abraham's failure. Not in Romans, not in Galatians, not in Hebrews where Abraham is prominently featured in the faith chapter. Abraham is praised for leaving Ur to go to an unknown promised land. Ur was a a nation of tree worshipers. (laughs) And God tells him to get up and go somewhere. I mean, who does that? Who goes somewhere that you get on the road and you don't even know where you're going to end up? Abraham was a man of faith. It's good to serve a God like that, isn't it? A God who is sovereign, even when we doubt his ability to care for us, the God who remains gracious to us when we sin. To serve a God like that is a great, it's the world's greatest joy and opportunity. Because why? Because, and this is my last point, he is faithful. He is faithful. I want you to listen to the words. Turn to Psalm 139 if you would for me, please. Verse 13, we'll begin at verse 13. I want you to listen to these words. And and I have to tell you in advance before I read this, as I read these words, they are above my pay grade. I do not understand. I cannot comprehend the meaning and the beauty and the joy that's contained in these words. But nevertheless, that doesn't change the reality of them. It doesn't change the truth. Listen to what the psalmist David says. And when I read this, I want you to apply your name to these points. Would you do that? When when it says, for you formed my inward parts, don't think of David. Think of yourself because that's proper hermeneutics, I believe. Is that right, Pastor? (laughs) So when I read this, think of yourself. That this applies to you. David said, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. Every woman that's a mother here. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. <laughs> Isn't that not amazing? God has promises for you. Just as this beautiful, grand, redemptive story that we saw fulfilled as Paul told the churches in Galatia, when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. It was progressively revealed. Isaac's a part of that story. The prophets talked about him, and then he was revealed. That's the story those of us as Christ followers receive and apply to our lives. But you have a story as well. God knew you before you were formed. And he has promises for you. And he is faithful. Are you aware that God's promises for you? Maybe God's told you something specifically. If he has, you can be sure that he's going to keep it. You may waver. I've wavered. But he will not waver. You may disbelieve but he remains faithful. The day will come that you will laugh like Sarah at his fulfillment of the promise in your life because he is faithful. Because he is faithful. You know, when you and I read a passage like this, we can, we can tend to say, well, that's great for Abraham and Sarah. God certainly did a miracle for them, but God can't do that for me. My situation is different. How could God ever use a person like me? Maybe you think you're too old. There's not very many older people in here. I think me. I think me. Or maybe you think you're too young. Or you might think those that are opposing me are too strong. Or you may just think, how could God ever use someone like me? I have failed so miserably in my life. I am so far from him. How could you redeem me? Is God sovereign? That's not rhetorical. (laughs) Is he sovereign? Is he all powerful? Then he can and will do as he promised. I'm reminded, and this is not in my script. Do I have a minute or two? Okay, so do you guys remember Peter, right? Peter, the one who said things that really most of those other guys wanted to say, but they didn't have the guts to do it. The one who cut Malchus' ear off, the one who denies Christ. And even after the resurrection, and and please watch this, after the resurrection, Peter had seen the resurrected Christ. The scripture tells us in John that he went back to his boat. He went back to his way of living. I believe it's because I think he thought, how could God ever use me? I mean, when the chips were down, okay, I cut the guy's ear off. I get all that. But really, when the chips were down, I denied him. So he goes back to his way of living. And because he was this incredible leader, six other of those guys followed him. He's in Galilee. He's out in the boat. Have you ever noticed that John likes to call himself the one that Jesus loves? I kind of think of him as a little punk a little bit. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, really? I mean, so John says, well, so the one that Jesus loved recognized that it was Jesus on the shore because Jesus has made a fire and he's making breakfast for him. And when he said that, guess what Peter does? You guys know the story. He puts his cloak on and he dives off the boat and he swims to the shore and he's there with Jesus. And Jesus asks him those famous questions, do you love me, Peter? And Peter answers yes three times. And then he's broken in the last time because Jesus changes the language. The first two times he says, do you agape me? Do you love me with this unconditional love that can only come from above? But the last time, those are the first two times. The last time he just said, Peter, do you love me as a friend? And Peter broke. Peter broke and in his brokenness Jesus says feed my sheep and Peter got it the next time we see him he's back in Jerusalem preaching that amazing sermon on the day of pentecost when the church is born do you see god is faithful he's faithful to your story and mine he's made promises to us he allows us to be part of his story so here's what i'm going to ask you to do today and and may I, in the beginning, may I just speak to the men only? Is that, is that okay, men? As if you have a choice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you to consider something. For those of you that are married, and for those of you that are not married, but you have a woman in your life. Moses does not deal with what Abraham did to Sarah. He left that for Paul in the New Testament. <laughs> Paul gives real clear instructions in Ephesians 5 about how we're to treat the women in our lives. And that's not it. We're to treat the woman in our life as what God said she was from the beginning. Do you remember when Adam says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh? I mean, in our vernacular, he's saying, this is fine right here. I mean, (laughs) fine's dripping off her. She, I mean... Can you imagine what it was like when he saw her? So for those of us that are married or if you have that significant woman in your life, God has given her to you for you to lead her by serving her. And I hear so many men talk about that being subjection verse. Let me tell you something about that verse, okay? That's an A and B conversation between God and the woman and you need to see your way out of it. Totally. Do I need to repeat that? What you need to do is focus on where he says love her as Christ loved the church. Giving himself up for her. Washing her the water and the word. And what he goes on, that's the imperative. But the indicative of that story is that if you love her, you're loving yourself. That's the coolest thing. So I'm going to ask you, men. If there's something you need to make right with your wife or the woman in your life, would you do so today? Would you think about that? Second thing is this. Each of you received a pen in your chair. Would you pick up that pen? And actually, I forgot to do it. I'd like you to just take that pen in your hand for a minute. I got the privilege of of putting some of these in the chairs this morning. And as I was was doing that, I was praying over them. and Because what I want to say... Is this pen a symbolic of when we try to write our own story? Abraham tried to write his own story. God had promised him that he would be the father of a multitude of nations and a people, that he would be part of the line of a grand redemptive story that that God had that would culminate in the life of Jesus but he took matters in his own hand. He began to write chapters. He took Hagar and Ishmael was born. He told kings that Sarah was his wife. He put her at risk because he wanted to write his own story to protect himself. All of us in our stories, all of us try to write our own chapters, do we not? So I'm gonna ask you today, would you consider putting your pen down and saying, Father, Father, I let go of it. I let go of my life. My life is yours. I, I'm really dead. I was dead before I knew you. Would you write the story on the tablet of my heart that you've intended as we read the psalm before, the, before my days were born? You may be saying to me, here's your story. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know that. I don't have that kind of relationship with the God of the universe. I don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, the one who was sent to make me right with God. In a few moments, your pastor is going to come. I would just pray that you would consider this. Paul simply said this, the Apostle Paul If you believe that Jesus is the son of God and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. (laughs) Saved is such a strange word, isn't it? But what it meant when he wrote it is that you will be saved from separation from God for eternity. You would be made right with him. If that's your story today, God can begin a new chapter for you. Please allow me to pray. Father, I thank you for the privilege today of sharing your story. And Lord, I know there are stories in here that are incredible. And you're at work in these precious men and women's lives.